What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to, or watching as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things. We contemplate them. We turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28. Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about the brotherhood of the non sequitur. Folks, Todd Clippard put out a, a, a meme or whatever on his timeline, and he opined that he thought maybe he was part of the brotherhood of the non sequitur. And I chuckled to myself, and I made the comment, I'd like to know what prompted the comment or the, or the statement. And, of course, he cited it was all of the the brother, the brethren jumping on this bandwagon of Israel and the end times and this, that, and the other. And, uh, anytime you put out anything such as, look, Israel is not God's chosen people. Oh, so you're saying we hate Israel and, and we hate Jews. Well, no. Hello. Good morning, everybody. And, uh, incidentally, good to see everybody. Terry Crooks, John Exum, and the rest of you as you're coming in. We all appreciate you very much. But yeah, I, I saw it too, and I see it so much. This this issue of non sequitur and straw manning people in religious discourse is got to be. I mean, it's just the worst. It's dishonest. It's unloving. It's unchrist like, and you're putting yourself in the camp of people that think akin, or, or you're putting yourself in a camp where you are akin to thinking that people like people, uh, often think on the left that words are violence. Uh, we've got to nerf the world and all this, that, and the other. It's just, it's just, it's just a mess. I don't like it at all, but it's not just that I don't like it. I don't think God likes it. Now we have a sponsor for our show. Contact Lindsay Fay Dotson at gmail.com. Are you part of a church congregation seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event? Well, look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or send an email to lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com for more details. Don't miss the opportunity to make the, your message resonate both far and wide. Contact Lindsay Fay Dotson today. And we want to thank her for being one of our sponsors. Uh, let me get this caption off. Now, if, uh, if those of you that are watching this, if you like the, uh, yeah, that title sounds familiar. Yeah. The brotherhood of the non sequitur. Yeah. I got that off Todd's timeline. Um, so first off, before we dive into this, uh, well, just support the, support the podcast, support the, the brand Christianity. Now Patreon, buy me a coffee. If you're listening to this on Podbean, Apple podcast, Spotify, TuneIn radio, you can find in the show notes if you're listening to this after the fact on the uh, the big red play button website there, then you will see the links in the show notes to support us. Let me let me give you an excerpt from Church Reset Jack Wilkie, Baptism Instruments and Playing the Hits. This was written October tenth, twenty twenty three. I'm not going to read this entire article. I'm just going to read some excerpts from it because it sets the stage for what I want to talk about today. I've been long critical of the tendency in the churches of Christ 
to rehash certain basics of our doctrine over and over and over. It drives me insane when somebody preaches to a room full of Christians on how baptism now saves you and people come out saying that's a real doctrinal sermon or that's real doctrinal preaching and he's telling it like it is. Well, like an old rock band on tour, I want to put a spotlight on stuff people don't hear as much. But like the rock band's crowds, a lot of people just want to want the preacher or the writer to play the hits. To use another metaphor to explain my frustration, constantly revisiting baptism and the instruments is akin to the baseball player or baseball manager's pregame speech being Okay, boys, three strikes is an out and three outs is an inning. And the team saying, good stuff, coach. We needed to hear that. Now, I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, there's some wisdom to it. Look, I understand all of the, you know, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to play with the four horsemen of disunity, there, there's two of them that comes to mind, which is pearl clutching and virtue signaling. Yeah, uh, J- John Exum, I got blasted for saying exactly what Wilkie said in regard to the invitation at the end of every sermon. And you will, because you're not dealing, John, with honest people. That thread on that fellow's Facebook page, first off, the thread, and I- I'm not going to go look it up because I'm scared that it will it will mess my recording up, Um, but I think that that thread, in fact, I, never mind. I can look it up here. Sorry. I forgot. I had, I had more than one computer. Yeah, I've got more than one computer. Now let me get in here. I'm not going to mention any names, but if, if, but if anybody associated with this is listening to the podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, I mean, I don't care. Come at me, bro. That's all I got to tell you. A preacher of the Lord's church just told me yesterday that preachers need to stop talking about baptism when we preach during the worship service. Folks, I I don't think that's true. I recognize this kind of language. Let me explain. Let me see if I can illustrate this kind of language. Take, for instance, the platform Patreon. Now, everybody knows that I'm on Patreon, okay? I have like 16 patrons and I shouldn't say I it's Aaron Dotson and myself, me and Aaron, Aaron and I have about, I can't, I have to look 16 patrons ranging anywhere from one to whatever dollars a month. We make, we, we bring in about 160 bucks us per month with 16 patrons. It, it averages out to $10 a head. Although many of them are a dollar a head. I will get emails periodically from Patreon wanting me to uh, come to webinars and they want to hear my feedback on how they can make the Patreon platform more profitable, more user-friendly. They are interested in my feedback. It is the height of delusion if I were to think that there is something special about me as opposed to somebody that has thousands, maybe tens of thousands of patrons on Patreon, which there are some celebrities who do, why would you want to hear from me, who's got 16? In other words, the email is obviously a, 
mass email, boilerplate email. Yes, they're, they're, they're interested in my feedback, but the, the, the CEO of Patreon is not contacting Tony Brewer and it's all like, Hey, we want to, we want to listen to what you have to say personally to the, to, as if I'm special. So if I got that email, I would not make a post on Facebook saying, I just received an email from the CEO of Patreon and he wants me to have a conference with him and tell him how he can best improve the site. Folks, that's delusional. That that's that's beyond a lie. That's delusional. I don't believe for a minute that a preacher of the Lord's church told this man that preachers need to stop talking about baptism. I believe he heard that in a podcast or he read that in an article. I don't believe he ever had a conversation. I could be wrong. And if and if I'm wrong, well then that's fine. I'll eat some crow. I'm just giving you an example. I've seen this and I've seen I've I've dealt with this in my personal life where Hey, look, I got this. I mean, like, come on, man, you're, you're not special. Quit being so delusional. But the, the, the point is on this post, John, you're not dealing with honest people. There's 195 comments under it. And every one of them are non sequitur pearl clutching virtue signaling responses. It blows my mind that we equate baptism with the gospel or that we equate baptism with the whole counsel of God. I understand that you cannot preach the whole counsel of God. If you, whenever you're studying with somebody and they say, okay, I want to be saved. If you don't tell them anything about baptism, you've done a bad thing. You've sinned against almighty God and you have picked and choosed, chosen what you're, what you're, going to teach but to accuse somebody of not including baptism in every sermon or even most sermons as somebody who's a false teacher and not preaching the whole counsel of God is damnable there are people because of this post and the comments that they're making and the pearl clutching and the virtue signaling and the straw manning and the non sequitur arguments that are in danger of hell fire. We've got to improve in this. I want to keep on going in, um, Wilkie's art article. Um, so he, he goes on to say, I've recently started to ponder as to why people want to go over the basics. And the most obvious is that the most obvious reason we talk so much about baptism and instruments is because those are the doctrines that separate us. And they are. He's true. He's correct there. You know, we don't say the sinner's prayer and we don't have a piano on stage. And in its ugliest form, this becomes everybody outside this building is going to hell. In its most positive form, it's more like, here's why God is pleased by what we're doing. But those differences are fairly obvious to anybody who spends a Sunday among the churches of Christ, and anybody who's been a member for more than a month or two knows exactly why we hold those beliefs. Now, he goes on to say, so in our search, we have to dig one layer further. Why do we prioritize our distinguishing doctrines 
baptism, mechanical instruments of music, exclusivity of the Lord's church, so much. And and he he's got a pretty good segment here. I don't agree 100% with everything that he says in the, in the entire rest of the article, but he doesn't say anything that deserves to be taken out of context and reframed in the absolute worst possible light the way I think some people are doing it. We think ritual is a bad word. So I believe, Jack says, I believe the answer is ritual is comforting. So we think ritual is a bad word, but it's actually good. The first thing, and I'm summarizing his article, the first thing God did when he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt is he set up ritual. And we don't have anything ritual or liturgical, or, or liturgical. We don't have anything ritual or liturgical like that for grounding, which those those observed feast days and stuff like that. In, in the in the new covenant, we don't have any kind of ritual like that exactly. So, as doctrinally focused people, we fall back on rehashing the familiar doctrines. You are saved in Christ because you have correctly followed the steps of salvation and engage in proper worship. And, and I, I see people they 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 say that all the time. You're saved because you worship correctly. You follow the steps of salvation. And I've, folks, I've got a problem with that. It's no wonder we get accused of teaching a work salvation. Anyway, understanding this, Wilkie says, I'm less frustrated. People need to be comforted through consistent practice, and we shouldn't begrudge them that natural instinct. So, Wilkie is making a concession here. He's saying, I understand why we teach about these distinguishing doctrines so much. And it's good. I'm glad. I mean, he, it's, this is a balanced article. This is a, this is a, uh, this is a balanced article. All right. Now, and again, I'm, I'm going to point out some stuff with Wilkie's article. I don't agree with that. I think he might be stepping out onto a slippery slope. Now I'm not I'm not I'm not framing him in a negative light just to do it. Um, I'm not accusing him of falling prey to the slippery slope fallacy. Remember, the reason there's a such thing as a slippery slope fallacy is because the slopes are actually slippery. Okay. Now, Wilkie goes on to say, however, we do need to channel the ritualistic instinct in more productive ways. I'm I'm in 100% agreement with that. Okay. I don't agree with this. The plan of salvation is the milk of the word we are supposed to use for nurture and growth into deeper things of the word. He cites Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 3. I do not believe the first principles are hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. I believe that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. I do not believe that this uh, baptisms and stuff like that. Anyway, I'm just saying that Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 3, is not talking about there are milk passages and meat passages. All scripture is meat in in that sense, in the Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 3 sense. And in the first Peter sense, all scripture is milk. Okay. Now, hold on. Let me get I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go through here. Let me get your comments in a moment. I'm not ignoring you, I promise. All right. So keeping people there by centering our ritualism on the basics of faith produces per perpetual spiritual infants. Now, I have said this about the five steps. I loathe the five steps. 
I was communicating this in a, in a congregation one time to which a woman spoke up and said, well, those five steps, these practices and methods that you're talking so bad about, they've served us really well in the past to which I responded. Then where are they all at? If they served you well, then how come the congregation's gone from 300 members to 50 members in the course of about 20 years? Maybe 30. I don't know. I'd have to go back and do my math. But they, and think about the, the implicitness, the, the, the implied, the implication of that statement. Sorry, I couldn't English. Those methods that you're talking so bad about served past tense served us well, meaning they're no longer serving us well. So why would we keep doing them? Now, why do I think that the five steps are inadequate to the task for which so many use them today? For the same reason Wilkie writes, keeping people in these rituals and not going forward to something more abstract and nuanced and difficult to understand keeps people as perpetual spiritual infants. If my research is correct, which I think it is, I believe it was Walter Scott that come up with the quote unquote five steps. And they're not the same five steps that we have today, but he used them as a way to teach little bitty children. If we use the methods that are for teaching little bitty children exclusively for teaching adults as well, then what are you going to make the adults? You're going to make them like little bitty children and not in the good way, not in the way where Jesus says, suffer the little children to come into me and, 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 uh oh, prevent them not. Oh, well, just go look that passage up. All right. More importantly, it fails to provide what we're seeking from the ritual. Reminding ourselves of our righteous of our rightness prompts many to wonder how sure we are that we're right about every last doctrine. And what happens if we aren't right about every last doctrine? And the communal connection we derive from ritual is in constant jeopardy by any minor disagreement. Let me explain to you something that I'm accused of quite often. Tony cannot stand to be in fellowship or friends with, or in association with anybody that disagrees with them. The problem is the people that tell me that and that accuse me of that, they only surround themselves and associate themselves with people who are echo chambers that do not challenge them, that do not push back on them, that have to believe every single thing they believe. It is much more healthy to have a an interwoven tapestry of different beliefs in a congregation. Now, I'm not saying that we accept all doctrines. I'm not saying we accept all doctrines. I'm not saying that there's no standard, but I'll refer back to a article that I wrote, two articles that I wrote about uh, a, co a religious and spiritual codependent congregation. And then, um, uh, Heeding the Divine Call, my article about he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. What you believe has no bearing on whether or not I get to heaven. And I'm comfortable enough in my own belief 
that I'm not going to validate you in something that I think is wrong. Like if, if, um, if Philip, Philip Carmen here, I don't know how I felt about that article. I'm glad you're talking about it this today. Thank you. Well, so Philip Carmen here, if, if Philip and I hold a difference of, of, of conviction on what the gift of the Holy spirit is, I'm comfortable enough in my academic ability that I'm, I believe I'm right in my conviction. And if he holds something different than I hold, I believe he's wrong. And I'm not going to validate him in something I consider wrong, but I'm not going to make a break of fellowship over it. That is healthy. That's a healthy boundary. Here, here's, here's where we butt up against one another. You have your conviction over there. I have my conviction over here. It's not a matter of fellowship, so we can agree to disagree. That is evidenced by the eclectic mix of academia at the Riverview Church of Christ. And there are some, there are some topics that I teach when I teach them. I tell them, I don't want to know what you believe on this subject. I want you to listen to the way I present it, and I want you to chew on it. Because if you don't agree with me, you can still go to heaven. We don't have to agree about these things. If we focus so much on the ritual and on, as Wilkie calls them, the quote-unquote greatest hits, then what is going to happen is we are going to see a landscape in the Lord's church, much like we have now, where everyone is segregated off into these little pockets of, 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 of doctrines that are not really doctrine, but it's academic pursuit. In other words, I can't go worship down there with them folks because they have a different view of the gift of the Holy Spirit than me. Or I can't go down there and worship with them folks because they, you know, they think you can eat in the building. Or I can't go down there and worship with them folks because they think that if you, um, if you, I don't know, just pick something. Test the spirits to see whether or not they're of God. Yes. Yes, yes. I believe it is it is my conviction that social media is a net negative for the Lord's church. Now you might ask yourself, well then you big fat dummy, why are you on social media? Because how much worse off would it be if there weren't voices extolling the virtue of God's word and how to act Christ like? In other words, social media is terrible. But it would be much worse if we weren't on it. I think social media has taught us to disagree and argue about everything that comes down the pipe. And I cannot tell you, and this is so ironic, I cannot tell you the amount of people who have disagreements with me about my golden rule. My golden rule of social media is 1 Thessalonians 4, study to be quiet and to do your own work and with your own hands and mind your own business. Why? So that you may walk honestly towards those that are outside the faith. That's not the quote. That's the Tony Brewer paraphrase. And so I do not. John Exum uh, at Hannibal. I noticed that he's going through, he's going to start or has begun or whatever, teaching through first John. I saw that come across my timeline. I've got some pretty strong convictions on first John. They're matters of academic pursuit. It's possible that Jonathan doesn't agree 100% with me right down the line. 
what would y'all, I'd love to know in the comments, what words would y'all use to describe me if I went on Jonathan's live stream and I started arguing with him and, and, uh, trying to undermine, uh, his authority as a teacher in his live stream for the Hannibal church of Christ. I'd like to know. I mean, I've got some names in mind that I would be worthy of being called. I sometimes I'm a little harsh. I just wonder what, I wonder what normal people would think. I, I actually talked about this at polishing the pulpit. Stay in your own lane. We need to treat like the Hannibal church of Christ. Facebook page is an extension of the Hannibal church of Christ. I would never go to the Hannibal church of Christ on a Wednesday night and try to derail a class that John Exum is teaching. I'm not even sure I would do that if it was 100% damnable false doctrine. I appreciate you, John. John says, I'd rather you be blunt than to think you can't be open with me. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate that. But, but the point, the point I'm making, the point I'm making is this. If you wouldn't go to another congregation and derail a class, why would you go to somebody else's Facebook page or, or, or timeline or, um, Facebook group that you don't control and you don't run and try to derail things or just argue period. Something to think about, but that, that gets to that whole, that the, that this, this, the user said, I think social media has taught us to disagree about everything that comes down the pike. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the truth. Um, anyway, so if, if, if all we do is focus on these rituals, the ritual of rehashing this doctrine that we all know so well, then that's where we are. And yes, people do have a holier than thou mindset. People do have a holier than thou mindset. All right. So we should, should, we should revisit the plan of salvation from time to time. And we should always be ready to share it with the lost, but the saved shouldn't need to be reminded of day one of the faith all the time. Guys, that, that there's nothing controversial about anything that I've read. Now, let's keep going. That leaves us with this important question. What ritual should we be practicing? Now, this is where I, I this is where I have a split with him. Okay. I don't agree with what he says here um, about the confession and stuff like that. I do agree with what he says about the Lord's supper. All right. But again, he is not writing doctrine for the church to follow. He is spitballing here. Since when was it a sin to spitball? Do y'all know what I mean when I say spitball? He's, uh, he, he's bouncing ideas off stuff. He's, he's thinking out loud. All right. The possible suggestions are myriad. And I'm open to hearing Annie in the comments, but he is an author and he does have to make content. So now he's going to write some of the things he's thought about. It would have to be something we do regularly. It would have to point to a core truth. It would have to be a practice we share in, and it would have to be a practice that provides reassurance of our salvation 
and belonging in God's family. I would argue that a more complete practice of the Lord's Supper would do us a lot of good, and I don't think it's hard to see it checks all those boxes of what you expect of a ritual. And he's absolutely right. I think that we grossly and woefully underemphasize the Lord's Supper in comparison to how they did it in the first century. I think it's woefully underemphasized. Hello, Debbie Mangus. It's good to see you. Um, yes, we already do it weekly, he says, but if instead of a private ritual, we turned it into one of the, uh, hold on a second. Yeah. We turned it into one of, into one of that included corporate confession of sin, followed by a direct stated reminder that our sins have been forgiven. We would receive the comfort and reassurance we all seek. I don't agree with that. I feel like, again, it seems like there's a typo here, and I feel like this is not fully thought out by him. Uh, if we added a time, yes, well, let me read this again. Make sure I'm not, let me make sure I'm being fair to him. Yes, we already do it weekly. It has to be the Lord's Supper. But if instead of a private ritual, we turned it, the Lord's Supper, into one that included corporate confession of sin, followed by a direct stated reminder that our sins have been forgiven, we would receive the comfort and reassurance we all seek. Yeah, that there's where I split with him. I don't, I don't, I don't mind having a, a time of formal confession. I can see where that would be have some utility. But to to blend it with the Lord's Supper, I don't think there's biblical authorization for that. But again, I'm 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 do you see how I'm practicing First Corinthians thirteen? I'm reading and interpreting what he says in the absolute best possible light. All right. Maybe people if and if we did this that is a good question. John asked, What if I preached on Noah's Ark week after week after week? Would that be prudent? Well, the answer is no. Of course it wouldn't. Just like, and, and listen, man, I've, I've seen people, and this is kind of funny. We did it in school to, for a laugh, but every time there's a verse in your, conte- in your context in, in, the, in the book you're studying about water is to make a, make a baptism sermon out of it. And uh, somebody did the creation account. In the beginning, well, nope, never mind. That's John. Hold on. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God brooded upon the water. And the Holy Spirit has revealed that every one of us must be baptized into Christ for the remission of sin. And we know from verse, from John chapter 3 that that's water, lest a man be born of water and the spirit. So baptism is for remission of sin, and you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. You see how I got from Genesis 1 back to baptism. And I, I know people that preach like that. I think, although that is a caricature, that is somewhat close to what Wilkie is talking about. All right. If we were able to, to redirect this ritual and our dependent upon it in some way, 
then what we would have is maybe people wouldn't have to be told you're saved because you were baptized rather than saying the sinner's prayer. And you're saved because there isn't a piano on this stage. So regularly, if they were hearing each week, you were saved when you were washed with his blood and you continue to be saved as it washes away the sins you're confessing. And of course, that's, that's talking about the, the ritual of, of the Lord's Supper. In other words, we take the bread. You know, we're saved because we're part of this body. We were, we, were, we were added to this body of which we are partaking. We are made partakers of this body. And we are saved because of this blood of the new covenant that washes away our sins. And he ties confession in it that way. I'm not a fan of that. I, I think that there's other things that can be done. But again, he's asking suggestions and he's offering a suggestion. As for the communal bonds rituals create, if we were more proactive of the table, it would serve as the familial ritual it was meant to be. The realization that everyone partaking of the body and blood is brother or sister in God's family as your one-two, and your one-two is powerful. If we actually had an opportunity to take a minute and talk to each other and pray and share together, Rather than just handing the plate to the person next to you, it would accomplish the bond-creating purpose feasts have always accomplished. Again, the second half of this article is more thinking out loud than anything. I'm going to read that again. The second half of this article is more thinking out loud than anything. The main point is that we all seek ritual, and we could stand to develop some better ones in the churches of Christ. Agree? Disagree? Got a different suggestion? Well, be sure to leave a comment. Does this sound like somebody to you that would make a blanket statement and say, we don't need to preach about baptism at all? Would it be fair to say of this person, well, he's not preaching the whole counsel of God? I've, I've gotten, I've, I've got a lot of I got a lot of material here and I, I think I'm done. Um, give me, give me about 10 more minutes. Uh, I'm, I'm working on an article, the peril of jumping to conclusions, the brotherhood of the non sequitur. Okay. In today's digital age, misinformation spreads like wildfire, often causing unwarranted outrage and misunderstandings. The phenomenon is not restricted to politics or social issues, but it also permeates religious discussions. Um, let's talk about some contemporary examples and then we'll, then the podcast to be done in the well-known channel four interview between Kathy Newman and Jordan Peterson. There were instances where Newman's questioning framed Peter's arguments, Peterson's arguments in a way that he claimed to not accurately represent his views. So number there, there's four of them. Number one, the pay gap. When discussing the gender pay gap, Peterson asserted that it could not be solely attributed to gender discrimination. Newman then summarized his position as, so you're saying that women aren't intelligent enough to run top companies. Like she actually said that. And every time Jordan Peterson said something, Kathy Newman said, so what you're saying is, and what followed that phrase, so what you're saying is, 
was without exception never what Jordan Peterson actually said. And it was because of the non sequitur, the jumping to conclusion. All right, number two, freedom of speech, discussing the Canadian bill C-16 and compelled speech. Newman asked, why should your right to freedom of speech trump a trans person's right not to be offended? Well, the framing of this framing proposed or presupposed that Peterson was prioritizing his own freedoms over the rights of others not to be offended, whereas his argument was more nuanced and based on concerns about governmental control over language. It is deception and twisting by Newman. And, and I put forth to you that the people that are commenting on this article about baptism and that there's a gospel preacher that said that we shouldn't preach about baptism, they're doing the same thing. They're bearing false witness. They are lying. And they are participating in, well, messing up the brotherhood, quite frankly. Number three, masculinity and gender roles. When Peterson talked about the natural differences that existed between men and women, Newman asked, so you're saying that anyone who believes in equality, whether you call them feminist, call them whatever you want to call them, should basically give up because it ain't going to happen. <laughs> and I remember watching that. Peterson goes, no. Peterson had to clarify that he was not saying men and women can't be equal in society but was pointing out that they are not the same and that there are multiple reasons for observed differences in roles and outcome and then the right to be offended. At one point, Peterson suggested that being able to offend people is necessary for the progress of society. Newman then asked, so you're saying give people the right to say those abusive things? Well, his point was that the right to offend is inherent in freedom of speech. He was not advocating for abusive or hateful speech. So, again, I suggest everybody to go watch that interview. It is cringy. And this idea of this non sequitur, you know, in logical terms, the jump from not preaching about baptism to not preaching the gospel it's known as a non sequitur. It's a conclusion that does not necessarily follow from the premise. Simply because a preacher suggests focusing less on one topic doesn't mean other topics, including those considered vital or foundational, are also being ignored or dismissed. It's crucial to remember that the context, audience, and timing are significant factors in any teaching or preaching. Finally, Context is king. If the preacher's advice were given in a setting where baptism might overshadow other equally important teachings, then the advice is sound. It's much like when the Apostle Paul chose to preach only Jesus Christ and him crucified to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, acknowledging that each teaching context has its necessities. All right? Here's the thing. Paul considered what he was doing to preach. He said, I preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. And in that same book, he says, you know, I didn't come to baptize. It's not my purpose. In fact, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you except for, I think, Gaius and one other person. 
So that tells me then that Paul's primary point in his preaching is four Ps. Paul's primary point in his preaching was not baptism. What about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Do you understand what you're reading? No, I can't unless somebody shows me. Well, let me tell you, you're reading about Jesus Christ. Well, here's water. What hindereth me? Don't you think Philip covered baptism? I mean, but Philip didn't say, oh, you need to be baptized. You're reading Isaiah 2? Well, let me tell you about baptism. That's the idea. That's the idea. Um, Proverbs 18.13 offers some sage advice, folks. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. This proverb cautions against making snap judgments without first understanding the context or hearing the full story. It's a warning that applies equally to all scenarios, including theological debates and discussions. And I will tell you, as I look through this, as I look through this post, 195 comments, I am, I mean, I'm just floored at the amount of people that are jumping on the bag wagon at this supposed preacher that just said preachers need to stop talking about baptism when they preach during the worship service. That is not a true statement. I'm thinking about playing Jeopardy. I'll take things no one ever said or things that didn't happen for a thousand, Alex. I'd just about tell you I'd eat my hat if that actually happened. I've seen it too many times. All right. I think I'm done. Folks, let's not be the brotherhood of the non sequitur. Let's listen to people. And again, there's a, because of this, I've got two or three irons in the fire. Um, let me. Let me go up here. There's an article. Straw man fallacy, a contemporary case study expanded. And I use Jordan Peterson and Kathy Newman's examples. And the, the closing, the closing paragraph is the above instances from the interview serve as vivid reminders of how straw man tactics, because that's what Kathy Newman was doing. Non sequitur and straw man tactics are kissing cousins. So it not only distorts the viewpoints of those we engage with, but also impoverishes the quality of public discourse. Instead of wrestling with the complexity of ideas, straw man tactics reduce them to simplistic caricatures that are easy to dismiss, but far from accurate. That's exactly what this post is. It is a caricature, a simplistic, an overly simplistic caricature that's easy to dismiss. I mean, let's face it. If a gospel preacher did say, we need to quit preaching about baptism in the worship assembly, I'd be on him like a pit bulldog. I'd be like, look at this guy. Listen to what he's saying. It's no wonder our congregations are denominating. We're 
We're not laying again the foundation of the things we ought to lay. But it didn't happen. No serious gospel preacher would make that statement because that statement hasn't, that, that statement's 100% false. I guarantee you what this dude did, he heard a podcast or read an article and he made an assumption and he framed it as if he's special enough that the person talked to him. And I'll bet you a dollar to a moldy donut. It never happened. I don't care about their booze because I've seen what makes them cheer. You got that right. So this approach is not only intellectually dishonest, but also contrary to the biblical principles that call us to a higher understanding of and higher standard of interaction based on truth understanding and love for our neighbors folks i don't know what all is going to come out of this from this article but i have got i've got so many crazy notes and, and incomplete thoughts and stuff that i could probably do two or three articles all three from the same source but anyway um that's all i've got folks i just want to urge you don't do this to people don't interpret what somebody says in the worst possible light if you hear somebody speak and you don't agree with what they say Steel man it. Don't straw man it. Steel man is the opposite of non sequitur and straw manning. Straw manning is you take their argument and you make an oversimplistic caricature that's easy to defeat. If you steel man their argument, you take their argument, you think about it, you flesh it out, you repeat it back to them to their satisfaction, and you make it stronger. If you can't do that, you don't deserve to be arguing with people. Example, John, oh yeah, the Pharisees did the same with non sequitur. Yeah. Yeah, John 9 for sure. All right, folks, that's all I've got here. Be on guard for this kind of behavior. Don't, be, don't get sucked into it. If you see a post like that from, from uh, on Facebook, understand like, yeah, this, this don't pass the sniff test. Yeah, I'll take I'll take things that never happened for a thousand, Alex. I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to fall prey to this. It's I'm not going to be duped. So anyway, that's all I've got. This has been Tony Brew with Cogitations. Remember, uh, LindsayFayDawson at Gmail dot com. Email her a private messenger on Facebook uh, to have your designs for your flyers, your upcoming events. Uh, be sure and support us as far as monetarily goes, but be the algorithm for us. More importantly, like, subscribe, share, follow us on Substack, follow us on these platforms here and uh, be the algorithm for us and support us monetarily. If you can, God bless you. This has been Tony Brew with Cogitations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio and Podbean, and we'll catch you. Oh, here's a hold on. Going to them in private and asking them about it. Many times we are agreeing but in a different way and didn't realize it. Just talk it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good comment to end on. God bless y'all. And we'll catch you on the flip side.